0: If you've not gone through a struggle, there will come a time when you'll go through a struggle. You'll go through a difficult time. And in the midst of that time, sometimes God just doesn't respond the way that we want Him to respond. You you know what I'm talking about? And it's funny, sometimes in the midst of that time that you're going through, um, it's amazing because you can feel so all alone because everybody around you seems, seems to have no problems at all. I mean, here you are, you're dealing with this, and as you look across the your neighbor. They don't seem to be going through through anything. And it may not just be necessarily an event. It might be something that is seasonal. I know it's a season in life. And sometimes we have the the tendency to say, okay, um, based on what I'm experiencing right now, I'm feeling like God just doesn't care about me. He doesn't, he isn't necessarily concerned with what I'm going, it doesn't really seem that it's on the top of God's priority list because He's not answering me the way that I want Him to answer me. And I want to tell you this today. Listen, God's lack of response doesn't mean that He doesn't, he doesn't care. I want you to remember that. We, we sort of talked about that a little bit yesterday. Um, just because God doesn't respond the way that I want Him to respond doesn't necessarily mean that He doesn't care. But sometimes you get to the place that you just wonder if he does. ever been there, Tracy? You just want, you know, does does God really, am I really on God's radar screen? Does he even have a clue of what I'm walking through? Sometimes you feel like God is absent. I want you to write a statement down. I think this is a really important statement. I want to share this with you today, sort of up front, but this is something that will help you out. Because God's cooperation of lack of cooperation is not an argument for or against God's existence. God's cooperation or lack of cooperation is not an argument for or against God's existence. Now, for instance, if that were to be true... There would be some of you that may walk over to Meredith right now and say, have you seen Sydney?" And she'd say, seen who? I don't know who you're talking about. He doesn't exist because he didn't cooperate with me yesterday. <laughs> now that's just a, that's a, that's a, you know, that's not true, but that's just, well, you hear what I'm saying? Just because God doesn't cooperate or does cooperate doesn't, is not an argument for or against his existence. But when you're in the middle of a season of life and God isn't responding the way that we think He should respond, it can all, man, just leave us feeling that way. So I want you to remember that when we walk through a difficult season in life, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love us or He doesn't care. And so what we've been doing is we want to take during this series, I mean, when God doesn't, and you fill in the blank, when God doesn't, we want to take and, and look at a couple of people from the Scriptures and, and how their lives went. And these are people that we know that, that God loved because the Bible tells us that He loved them. Specifically, these are man. These are, these are guys that were like, tight, tight. Yet God didn't respond to them the way that we would think that He would respond if, if somebody loved. Last week we looked at a, a guy by the name of John, John the Baptist. And where did he find himself? He was where? He was in prison. It's exactly right he was in prison was God was was John the Baptist not an obedient person no I mean was 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 he not a praying person no I mean this was a guy that, that was sent by God sent by God to announce the coming of Jesus the Messiah But he got down to a place of sitting in prison when he had been faithful and when he had been obedient and when he had been on his knees trying to do exactly what the Lord called him to do. They got down to a place and time when he sent out some of his friends and he said, listen, will you go and ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah? And do you remember the statement that we said that Jesus sent back to him? I want you to go back and I want you to tell him all these things that are going on, but do you remember the statement that we hinged on last week? Does anybody remember? Yes, what was it, Gail? That's right. Blessed is the man who doesn't stumble because of me. Blessed is the man who doesn't fall away. Blessed is the man that doesn't turn around and run because I don't give them what they think that they should get. Blessed is the man that that don't give up and throw in the towel. Blessed is that man when I don't respond the way that they think that I should respond. Today we're going to go back to the New Testament again and we're going to look at a guy by the name of Saul whose name was later changed to Paul. If you know anything about this man, you will know this man was a pretty rough character in biblical times. Um, His name was changed to Paul after he had a, a, a meeting with God, met him face to face, a transformation of his life took place. And this is a guy that would spend the next 20 years of his life, of his adult life, traveling around and telling other people about Jesus and about the fact that he had died for their sins. This was a guy that was a um, that became a believer several years, about three years maybe after Jesus had died. And before he became a believer, what did Paul, what did, what did Saul do before his life was transformed? Does anybody remember? He was a persecutor of Christians. This is a pretty rough guy. So, what do you think the believers thought about Paul after his life was changed? Do you think this guy had a lot of friends? Probably not. So as a result, you've got Peter and James that take him in and disciple him over a period of time. And then after that, he would go and he would take the gospel outside of Jerusalem where he had been centered for for that period of time. And he would go on these missionary journeys. Great story. Great story. But anyway, in the midst of all this that's going on in Paul's life, after his life has been transformed, there was some type of an ailment that he got, and we really don't know what it was. The only thing that we know that it was, it was enough for Paul to mention it several times in his writings. It was enough to hinder him. Now, now, if we're thinking from a logical standpoint, this is what we would say. Why in the world would God put, allow Paul to experience some type of a physical ailment that would keep him from doing what God had called him to do? I mean, if if God was really a God who loved us and cared and was concerned, why in the world would God allow him to walk around with something that would cause him such difficulty, such pain? But for whatever the reason, we don't know why. The only thing we know is that when Paul prayed and asked the Lord to remove it, we just know that God said no. Now, some of you have probably prayed for some things in life, and God has said no. And so I don't know how you've responded All I know is that for whatever reason it was, God didn't remove the burden. And what we're going to do today is we want to go back and we want to look at Paul's life. Because there are some of you just like Paul that you've begged and you've pleaded and you've cried out to God in the midst of your pain to remove. And it could be, listen, it might be an issue you're dealing with in your marriage. It might be something that you're dealing with in reference to physical ailments or healing in your life. But for whatever reason, God has said no. And this is what I want you to hear today. What what God had in store for Paul and what God shared with Paul, the promise that was shared with him, is the same promise that we've got access to today, if we're willing to believe. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, in God's words, in the New Testament, um, Paul had written this letter to the church at Corinth. It was a church that he had started. And, uh, <clears throat> but I want to try to give you a little bit of a, a heads up because we're going to start in the middle of verse 7. Is where we're gonna we're gonna pick it up today if you don't have your Bible I think we'll have some words up on the screen for you so that you have a chance to read along with us do you, um, you got your little iPhone or iPad or whatever it is pull those out that's a great place but I've always liked the I've always liked the written word I mean it's good for me to have my iPad or whatever but I really like this because I'm able to take my notes write down things and as I read through God reminds me of stuff But Paul had written this letter to those that were believers in the area called Corinth. Like I said, he had started the church there. And leading up to this, Paul was talking about, in reference to his story, how God had revealed some stuff to him, and he's wanting to share it with those that he's in contact with, with the rest of the church. And, And he's talking about how God had allowed him to experience difficulty in his life as a result to keep him humble. Um, and in this description, what we're going to learn is, is Paul's going to give us a little bit of insight of what you're supposed to do and how to respond when God says no. So this is where we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And we're going to start the second half there, if you'll read along with me. So this is what Paul said. So to keep me from becoming proud. To keep me from becoming proud. Let me ask this question. How do we become proud. A little participation here. (laughs) (laughs) Self-sufficiency. Boastful, what? Everything's Everything's going good. Credit to ourselves ourselves instead to the Lord. What else? Too much knowledge. Too much money. Too many friends?
1: Forgetting who's in
0: charge. Forgetting who's in charge? That's right. So Paul says, to keep me from becoming proud, because this guy had a lot to brag about. I mean, if there was anybody that had something to brag about, Paul had something to brag about. And he said, So to keep me from becoming proud, and keep that in mind, because what is it that keeps what is it that, that makes you proud? Why are you proud? Are you proud? Are you dependent on yourself instead of God? He said, "This I was given a thorn in my flesh, so to keep me from becoming proud, and boasting about my own abilities, and boasting about my own accomplishments, and boasting about the things that I have earned and the things that I have done, I was given a thorn in my flesh." Now, some of you have probably used that phrase over the years to respond to as a figment of a speech in reference to a boss. they are just a thorn in my flesh. You could have said it about your spouse. A neighbor and you've not even known that this was a biblical term but this is where it comes from. a thorn in my flesh it's right there this is where that phrase comes from and for Paul it represented some type of a physical ailment it was a thorn in his flesh it was something that was difficult it was there he knew it was there listen when you get a thorn in your flesh you know that it's there you may you might not even be able to see it but you know that it's there Are you with me Ever got one of those little hairpin things and, you know, a little, little, little thorn and you can't see it, but you know that it's there because it's painful and it causes difficulty? And then he says, so keep me from becoming proud. I've given a, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan. Now, I don't know if this is really a, a, a figurative form of speech like um, the choir tour from hell. Back about 15 years ago, we uh, took a tour. Used to tour all over and then we had this year that sort of showed up and we called it the choir tour of hell that was a figurative of speech uh, if there was anything that could have gone wrong on that tour everything in the world went wrong I had a girl that caught Lyme's disease I had a girl that was there was an attempt and a sexual assault on her I had a girl that fell out we were singing at the Capitol in Washington DC on the steps of the Capitol I had a girl that fell out they took her to the children's hospital called home when I told them not to do that left a message on their phone that the girl had fallen out, busted her head, and they didn't know the seriousness of the incident. I thought, you've got to be kidding me. The air conditioner went out on the bus. There was a virus that went around on the bus. That when the kids were singing, they'd literally fall out. I'd never seen anything. I thought, these, guys, these kids are killing me.
2: <laughs>
0: I mean, we're in the middle of a performance, and they'd be falling out. you see them just boom, just drop, boom, <laughs> boom. <clears throat> and I didn't realize how bad it was until I got, I got, I got sick. And it was so bad, the guy that was driving our bus which was the first time he had been with us. He pulled the bus over to the side of the road and said, Hey, we're going to have prayer for the pastor. My brother's sick. I thought they were going to have to take me to the hospital. But it was, we called it the choir tour from hell. It was terrible. And so Paul, here's Paul. He's saying, listen, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's literal or if it's, a, if, or if it's figurative, but he says, a messenger from Satan to torment me from becoming proud. And regardless of what he did, and regardless of what he accomplished, it was always with him, reminding him of his weakness, reminding him of his dependency. Now, speculations have been it was an eye problem. Other speculations were it was an issue of epilepsy. I don't think it really matters, does it? It was an issue that he had to deal with. And this is what he goes on to say. Three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Now, he wasn't saying, okay, I prayed at breakfast, lunch, and supper. I think what he was trying to say, there were three seasons in my life to, that, that the, it came to the point that I, it was almost unbearable. Unbearable. And at that time, I cried out to God. I cried out to God. And I asked God to remove it. Three times, he said, I begged the Lord to take it Maybe you've had some type of an experience like that before where you've, bet, you've begged God to remove the pain. God, if you'll just remove the pain, if you'll just remove it, if you'll, if you'll heal, if you, will, if you will take care of this incident. And every time he cried out, look how God responded. Verse 9, he said, each time he said, each time he said, God said, my grace is all you need. My grace is all you need. Each time Paul was at the place of giving up when he cried out to God, when he was in that season, the response from God was always the same. My grace is all that you need. I'm not going to give you what you want, but I'm going to give you what I want to give you. And what I'm going to give you is I'm going to give you my grace. And my grace is going to be enough to sustain you. And if we were to define grace at this point, this is what we would say. The ability to make it another day. The ability... Uh, to take another step. The ability to move ahead when you didn't think that you could. And by the way, by the way this was a guy that God is talking to in reference to that he loved very, very deeply. And he said, my grace is what I'm going to give you. And the grace that I'm going to give you is going to be enough to sustain you. And then look at what he says in the little bit of the next statement. He said, my power works best in weakness. Every one of us in this room wants to be on a platform at some point in life. True? Think about it. You've dreamed about it. Business platform. That's the best salesman right there. Best salesman in our company. Athletic platform. That's the guy that caught the winning catch. Um, that's the guy that scored the... The win and run. That's the guy that got the big hit. That's the guy that was the triple crown winner. Look at him. Elevate him. And you say, God, listen, if you'll just elevate me to the place that I've got a platform, then what I'll do is I'll bring glory to your name. So put me on the platform, God, because when you do that, then I'll bring you glory. You ever said that maybe in your mind? Don't don't raise your hand or anything. (laughs) God, if you'll just let me win the lottery, I promise I'll give 10% back. Ever done that? God, if you'll bless me with just a little bit more, then I'll do this over here. We all want that platform. We want the platform of success. But God doesn't always say, I'm going to leverage your success. Sometimes He says, I'm going to leverage your weakness. The great, greatest witness is not always Tim Tebow when he's throwing the touchdowns. I went in the football games. Sometimes it's in the humility when he's being bashed in the news. And in his weakness, there's a strength that shows up. Are you with me? We're on the same page today, aren't we? Isn't that great? It's not always when we're standing on the platform giving praise to God. that the great story comes from. Sometimes it's in the midst of our weaknesses when we're vulnerable and when we're broken and we don't have any other place to go and then all of a sudden, God shows up. Maybe you have saw somebody walking through a time in life and you said, I don't have a clue how they're making it. You ever been there? I don't, know how, I, I, I don't, I don't even understand how they're even... I don't, I don't know how they're doing it. I mean, look, all this stuff is just falling in and yet they're still... There seems to be a strength that's there and it's attractive. I don't know how they're doing it because I'm looking from the outside and I just don't understand where that strength is coming from. But there's something within us that wants to be on the platform, but God doesn't always leverage our successes. Sometimes He leverages our weaknesses. And at that time of suffering and at that time of difficulty, God uses those times to demonstrate and expose his grace. There are those times in life that there is no other explanation except but God. But God. No other way that I could have made it through. Amy, Brian, but God. But God. Strength in our weakness is His presence in our life. Write that down. Underline it. Strength in weakness is His presence in our life. Strength in brokenness, strength in vulnerability, strength in desperation is His presence in our life. And Paul goes on to say, so now... So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. (laughs) Boast about weaknesses? We don't do a good job at that, do we? Boast in weaknesses? Well, why in the world do you want to boast about weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me? That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in insults and in hardships and in persecutions and in troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Sometimes God says no. Yet when God says no, He always says yes. Sometimes God says no, I'm not going to. But he always says yes. No, I'm not going to change your circumstances. No, I'm not going to rescue you from the midst of the sickness. No, I'm not going to change your financial situation. You know what? I can't, I'm, I'm not going to bring that husband or wife or child back. But in the meantime, while you pray, I want you to know this. That in that place of brokenness, my grace is sufficient for you. It's sufficient. I want you to write down just four thoughts that I think are really important. Four thoughts. Number one, you can go to God and ask Him to remove the thorn. Listen, going to God and asking Him to remove the thorn, or praying about whatever your issue you're dealing with, is not a sign of weakness or a lack of faith, but it's a sign of dependency. God, when I can't control this on this line over here, I know exactly where I need to turn, and where I'm going to turn is I'm going to turn to my source of strength. And it's not in me, and it's not in producing more, it's not in earning more, it's trying, to not even trying to produce more. But where I'm going to get my strength is I'm going to turn to You because You are my strength. Your grace is sufficient. God has and He can say no. Just like He did to Paul. And He can do that and He can say no because He's God. But when He does say no, He says, but my grace is sufficient for you. Number two, God might use your weakness to showcase His power. Some things never change. Some things never get better. Some things may not be healed. Some things may not work out. Yet in the midst of this, The outcomes aren't a reflection of God's concern or love. They're just an opportunity for me to be able to trust in the one that gives me strength. It's an opportunity for us to demonstrate His strength in our weakness. Number three, you can't experience God's grace while resisting His will. You can't experience God's grace while resisting His will. Does anybody know what the word striving means? What does the word strive mean? Work towards or work against. Striving. I'll define it for you. To struggle in opposition, to devote serious energy or effort. Striving is when you get totally is when you get totally frustrated with God because He isn't responding the way that you want him to respond. And so you pick it back up and you say, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna handle it. And this is what I want to say to you. God's got our best interest at in mind. He's got our best interest at mind. And He's not always going to give us what we want or what we think that we want because His ways are not always our ways. But He has our best interest at mind. But when we strive against Him, what we're saying is, God, I don't like what You're doing, so I'm going to resist You. And with that resistance comes tension. You ever had tension in your family? Husband and wife? Striving, opposing—you ever had parents? You ever had striving in your children where they've stro- they've strived against you? You're pulling and you're saying, "I know what's best for you," and they're going, "I don't want that. This is what I want," and they're pulling back. And in that place, there's tremendous amounts of tension. But you can't experience God's grace when you're resisting His will. Grace giving us something that we don't deserve. Mercy, withholding something that we do deserve. Grace, giving us something that we don't deserve. Some people define grace as God's riches at Christ's expense. But He gives us something that we don't deserve, but He gives it to us because He loves us. Four, sustaining grace, continued grace, begins with yielding. Sustaining grace begins with yielding. We saw it when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Here, Jesus is, knows exactly what's getting ready to take place. And as he prays, what does he pray? Father, not my will be done, but yours. Lord, I know what's going on and I know what's going to take place, but God, listen, I'm going to, <clears throat> I'm going to set aside and I'm going to yield to you. Father, I'm going to yield. Lord, this isn't necessarily what I want, not my will, but Yours be done. It's not my agenda, but it's Your agenda. It's not my plan, but it's Your plan. And there is a gap between what I want. When there's a gap between what I want and the reality of where God is, in the midst of that gap, God says there's grace if you're willing to yield it to me. If it's not grace... It's tension. But if you're willing to yield, there's grace. We will experience when we're opposing or striving against God. But grace only happens when we come to the place to say, Lord, if this is what you've chosen for me, even though this is a battle, and even though I don't understand it, God, your will be done. Your will be done. What I'm going to do is I'm going to trust you for strength at this time because this is what I know. The strength that I have, it is not capable of moving me through this place in life. This season that I'm in right now, it is impossible for me to make my way through it. So I'm going to yield to you so that I can know that you will sustain me and your grace will be made known. God, this is the time when I'm going to take my hand off the wheel and I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to let you take my life. And I'm going to let you take me wherever you want to take me. I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago. I'd visited the house. I heard their wife was uh, getting ready to pass away, and as I walked into the house, we spent time praying. And he said to me, "I believe. I know God is a healer. I know He's going to take. I know He's going to come in and He's going to take care of this. God would not leave us in this place." And he went on and on about his faith and about how he knew that God was going to take care of it. I saw him this past week. I said, "How are you doing?" tears rolling down his face he said i just don't know if i can take it he said how in the world can you if if god in the midst of this this is my spouse of 50 something years and to see her walking through what she's going through and i said how are you making it because i know this isn't what you want and i know this isn't what you've planned for and i know this isn't the way you want things to take place and he said to me as a believer he said that god's grace is sufficient that God's grace is sufficient. In our weaknesses, how do you learn that in that time, it's not a reflection of God's love, but it's an opportunity for God to show up and demonstrate His love and put it on a platform higher and bigger and better on any billboard that you could ever do. But it's coming to the place of yielding and saying, Okay, God, I don't really understand all this because right now I'm at the bottom of the pit. I need your help. But I surrender. I wanted to be able to interview briefly just a couple that I know. um, And you probably don't know some of the difficulties they've walked through. But I want to just ask them a couple of questions as we sort of walk through finishing up. A couple that I think you could identify, and they've had multiple struggles over the past um, several years. But if you look at them from the outside, you'd never know that. You'd never know some of the things that they've gone through. And as I was walking through this time, I thought, I need to see if I could interview them, if they would be willing and vulnerable enough to allow me to talk to them and just talk to us. Because, guys, if you've not gone through a struggle, the truth is you will. And so how how do you make it through? So Eric and Jen, will you come here for a second? Let me talk to you. This is um, Eric and Jennifer English. good, Jim. <clears throat> What's up, blood? <laughs> got a little chair. I just hope it holds you and don't fall over. Um, uh, well, <laughs> doesn't have anything to do with weight. That's why I got the big chair. T- t- tell me something about you guys, because there are people here that don't even have a clue who you are. I mean, how long have you guys been married? Recently, we just got on.
1: Oh,
0: yeah, turn that little mic on. Recently, we celebrated our eighth anniversary on two of Great. We've been together since high school, so. Wow. Which was several years ago. <coughs> but when you guys got married, I mean, uh, Jen, you're an RN by trade, right? Mm-hmm. Got your degree from Florida State. Eric? And, and your degree is in?
2: I had a business degree at the State.
0: Got it. And so you guys, several years ago, you had the opportunity to move back here as a family and uh, participate in a family business. Um, and everything was going great. I mean, the first little bit of struggle that I remember about you guys was dealing with infertility. And that was, that was an overwhelming time. And I remember Meredith and I spending some time with you guys at the house just talking and walking through that. But other than that, I mean, here comes here comes Nolan, and I mean, and life is grand, and you guys purchased a house, and life's just smooth and smooth, right?
2: <laughs> well, we, yes, when we moved back from uh, Tallahassee, you know that was that was the main reason we moved back was to be part of and grow and continue the family business that was started. Mm. And yeah, going through infertility that time was, I think, tougher now than we went the, the second time that even though we leaned on you guys, it still was something that nobody talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't know anybody outside of you guys that had faced it. Um, um, so I
1: would just say that um, that was probably the first struggle that we I think uh, helped me kind of see um, the Lord. Um, I think He showed in my life a lot during that time, um, which I think you know I grew closer to Him. But I don't think until um, things like hit the fan uh, per se, um, where because um, I rededicated my life in 2009 of October. So it's been three years, and literally from that moment um, till now, I've been walking. Walking the way that I should walk. And,
0: um, but there was some stuff that began. I mean, <clears throat> because here you guys, you move back, family business, and I mean, you're moving and grooving, and you got this thing that's working out now. Baby's here, guy's got a new house, and then. And
1: then everything just kind of crumbled. Um, what
0: were some of the things that began to happen?
2: that as part of a small business, when that happens, that's what holds everything together is the family. Um, And I had made a decision early on to stick it out there and and be be the one that kept the relationship with both of them. The problem was that elevated me to being in the middle. Um, So at that time, I decided to step aside and, and part of their, when they got divorced, part of the agreement was to sell the business. Wasn't, I didn't feel from the Lord and after talking to Jen that it, was, it was right for us to do it.
0: And this is really tough because you guys had purchased a house. I mean, in the middle of the economy was good and all of, a a of us <coughs> two incomes. and now the economy's starting to tank in the middle of all this as well.
1: And that was when I had to my life, too. So it was kind of like we kind of like leaned on each other and the Lord through that whole entire situation, which um, probably for me, I probably wouldn't have done um, if I didn't rededicate my life. I probably would maybe um, leaned on something else or somebody mm-hmm. else. But um, really just leaned on Him and the Lord. And um, it, I, I don't know how we got through, um, but we have so far. Um, after that, um, my mom passed away, um, which was very difficult for me um, because it's my mom. And, um, you know, having the loss of, you know, his parents, you know, all, all of a sudden, like, you know, not that they passed away, but they're not together anymore. And then the loss of my own mother. Um, we we're dealing with both of those two things at the same time and trying to have a second child. And Eric was in the process of just starting with Brown and Brown. So um, it was just, and that was like a midlife crisis for him, like at age 30. Um, all of a sudden, let's, let's up and doing a whole new career.
0: It was called and survival.
1: I have no idea what he wanted to do, but he had to find something. And um, so we ended up doing that. And then, um,
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, we, i think what just every, like when she said everything started to crumble her her brother um they were married for about like, five years mm-hmm. they got three kids and you know we're, we're starting to come through some of this stuff and we find out they're going to get a divorce and at infidelity. the same time they're, they're going through this oh. because infidelity yeah so i don't know if you want to talk about that but that was just kind of the you know, dealing well, with all this stuff
1: through us being down at the weakest point for us and we're you know at the at that lowest point in our life that we just don't know how we're going to get through and to be honest it was probably the most amazing time to see my brother how he I mean my brother's always you know like me um for three years ago you know very you know love the Lord but not really living the life that he needed to live and he completely changed his life around, and he said um, he started going to church every Sunday and um, getting the kids on into church, and for me and Eric seeing that, since we obviously Eric's been with me a long time, um, knowing my brother for a long period of time, it was just amazing to see how um, through our weakness that other things were happening that were actually Really awesome that were happening around us. And
0: because God was giving you guys strength in the midst of your weakness, and you were being put on a platform where your weaknesses were being leveraged. That's exactly right. Yeah. You know,
2: well, one of the things that I figured out, and we shared with some close friends at uh, dinner a couple of weeks ago, is life, you know, always you know, hear life's going to on obstacles, but for me, it was always understood that you go through those and then you go through a valley. And then you um, and it seems like even though when, you are know, going through all this, you're, you've still got a lot up and down, but you haven't. And like Sid said, it's not always flowers. There's, God gotta promise that even what we're going through now is going to get any better. Um, and we just need to hold on to that. But for me, that's what was the hardest, is that, you know, you, you almost see, okay, I'm down here. It's time to come back up. But even when you're down here, there's a lot up and down. So that's.
0: And you guys are still in the midst of that right now with your house. Still working through that, trying to say, okay, let's short-sell this, whatever it is. And so you're not out of the woods yet. And so the question is, in the midst of all this stuff that you've gone through, how in the world have you guys survived?
2: Well, staying connected. Staying connected to the Lord, but also a a good, not just close friends, but good friends that follow Christ and you know their families stay in the Word. That's really what's kept us going. Um, it's, easy, it's easy to kind of, like we've done in the past, to kind of go and shut
0: the door. That's what we do when we get in difficulty, especially in the church. I mean, when we go through difficulty in the church, what we usually do is we disappear for a period of time because what we've taught in the church is that when we're going through a difficult time, obviously God's dis- uh, displeased with us, and that's why we're going through difficulty. Good things happen to good people. Uh, bad things happen to bad people, Right. not true. Not yeah. um, Difficulty falls on everybody.
2: Right. And for me it's showed me again that the hardest thing, and I think the guys can relate to me, is my income is no longer the breadwinning income of the family. And that's hard for me to, to swallow. Um, even though Jen doesn't but, it, but it's kind of It's kind of put me back into the, as I as you were Talking when you first got here you know it's it's not me or her it's him but It's the red in our family and just being reminded of that as tough as it is because that's not easy
0: what advice what advice would you guys give to somebody you've mentioned a couple of them what advice would you give to somebody that's walking through difficulty or a season or a struggle what advice would you give them today
2: i will just i'll let you say something I'll, I'll just say that i didn't i didn't really want to talking to of people but I don't like I don't like this and uh, why do you think I ask you? I think and the, well the reason why is you asked the advice is that one of the main reasons I didn't want to is because there's probably a lot of people that got a lot worse than I do than Jen does and that's the thing to remember because it seems like as soon as you get out of those ruts you know it's kind of like the Lord's talking you know, like look this, this person has It's constantly reading the Word, reading authors that are Christian, reading, inspir- listening to inspirational stuff and just staying you know, don't let Satan kind of take you into a dark mm-hmm. place, which is easy to do. Mm-hmm. Jim? And I would
0: pretty much ditto all
1: that, um, <laughs> except that I just would like to say that, um, as me too, I mean, whoever knows me knows that I'm not the one to share stories, um, and for Person never like to share my story out in front of everybody, um, but I have noticed um, in the last three years um, I've been able to do that by grace, um, like you said, because there's no way I would ever been a, it's Christ in me that I could be up here right now. So
0: we wanted to, I wanted to say thanks because, and I'm so thankful for you because number one of your vulnerability, number two because of your character and your integrity and your relationship with the Lord. I wanted you to be able to share and give you a platform in your weakness because I knew that you would. what God's done would speak to the hearts of people. I really appreciate you guys sharing that. You know, as Eric and Jen get ready to, to go back and have a seat, the blessings of God don't always happen at the top of the mountain. Sometimes they happen in the valley. Watch this video as we get ready to close out.